0: You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. All right, so take your Bibles this morning and open to Psalm 13. We're going to read this psalm. And as I do, I want you to notice the three categories, really, of prayer that are in this psalm. And it's going to be easy to see these because basically there's a transition every two verses. Okay, just six verses. So listen here. This is Psalm 13, verse one. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Verse three, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I will prevail over him, lest my my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Verse five, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord and now I just want us to go back and look at these three categories of prayer. In verses 1 and 2 we have confession. In verses 3 and 4 we have supplication and then in verses 5 and 6 we have adoration. And what I want to do for the rest of this video is just unpack these three categories of prayer and before we do that, let's let's pray. Father I confess, we confess in this moment that we need your help. Uh, this way of doing things is not ideal for us. We, we would rather be together in person, but here we are. And so we, we confess that we need you. And we ask that you would send your spirit, fill me with your spirit and send your spirit to fill all of those who are able to watch the video and hear your word. And Father, we ask because we trust you, we trust in your goodness and your grace and your love for us in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so there are three categories, starting first with confession. This is in verses one and two. And I'm calling this confession because David here is being honest with God. He is coming to God aware of where he's at. And instead of trying to hide that, instead of pretending that his heart is somewhere it's not, he just owns it. He he basically says to God, he says, okay, Father, this is where I am. And then he has five questions, one after another. We're going to look at the first three questions here. First is how long, Lord? Second is will you forget me forever? And then And third, how long will you hide your face from me? Now, these are questions, but they're not not really questions. The, the question part is more like a prop. David is using these questions to lament his felt absence of God. That's why the intensity grows a little bit with each line. First, it's how long? Like that, that's just a simple way of David saying, God, I don't like this. I wish things were different. I don't want to be where I'm at. How much longer? Right? And when it, when it comes to when it comes to that level of confession, I think we'd all say that we're all right about there right now. Now we don't like what's going on in our cities. We don't like what's going on in our in our nation, in our world. We don't like pandemics. And so we ask, how long, God? How long do we have to do this? this, this is an, this is an honest question, and we're all asking that, and it's okay to ask that. But then notice what David says next. He says, will you forget me forever? Now here in one step, this goes from perhaps being an inconvenient situation for David to now he's admitting that he feels like God has forgotten him. And I'm saying the word feels here on purpose. David is describing his felt reality. David knows, and we know theologically, that God can't forget anything because he's God. God knows everything. God knows everyone, and nothing can slip God's mind. But man, for David here, it doesn't feel that way. David feels forgotten and so he just says it he goes from i don't like this to i'm forgotten god to then the third question how long will you hide your face from me And this is an even higher level of intensity because maybe before, like in the first two questions, maybe this is David's issue, right? This is, it's it's David's issue that he doesn't like where he's at. It's David's issue that he's forgettable as it were. But here in this third question, David puts it on God. How long will you hide your face from me? And we read this and we think, oh, okay, this is... That's what this is. God is hiding his face from David. That's how David feels in Psalm 13. His his felt reality is that God is actively choosing to hide his face. David feels like he can't see God's face on God's purpose. Just imagine, just imagine that you're trying to talk to someone and you would like to see their face as you're talking to them, but they just keep staring at their phone and, and they, they just never look at you. Okay, just imagine this. Imagine that you're trying to have this conversation. And In fact, just, just imagine that as you're talking, they they don't just not look at you, but they take their phone and they just like they, they do like this. They just raise they just raise it up like that, and they're staring at their phone. And it's not just that they're not looking at you, but they're not even letting you look at them. Right? This is what it, this is what it is. Now, imagine if that were happening in that situation. How would you feel? What would that feel like for you? You'd feel ignored. You'd feel maybe forgotten. In a conversation like that, you, you, you would feel like that person is not present with you. That's, that's, how, that's what we say, right? That you're not you're not present with me. And if they're not present, then what are they? They're absent. And that's how David is feeling about God in Psalm 13. For David, if he's honest about where he's at, he feels like he keeps trying to talk to God, but God is too busy on his phone. He's not even looking at him. So David laments, how long, God? How long are you going to hide your face from me? (laughs) This is the experience of divine absence. And it's a real thing. It's it's the dark night of the soul. It's that moment when you realize it's not too hard to imagine that God might have nothing to do with anything. Look at verse two. In verse two, David here goes from the sense of absence, to now he's reckoning with his isolation. He says, how long must I take counsel in my soul? In other words, David is having to ask himself advice. He's talking to himself. He's, He's deliberating with himself. He's sorting things out with himself because he is by himself. He feels like he is by himself and his heart is sorrowful all the day. It is, it is cold and cloudy for David and his emotional forecast does not look good. But then here in verse two, there's this last question. And this last question kind of signals for us the transition that's going to come in verse three. He says, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me. See, the enemies of David are exploiting his situation. David's felt reality that it is that God has checked out on him. His felt reality is that God is uninvolved, and that counts as a point for the bad guys. Is what he's saying here? He's saying, "How many points are the bad guys going to get?" That's his question. That's where David is at in verses 1 and two, his confession in Psalm 13. That's the first category, confession. But now look here as we as we move to supplication in verses. 3 and 4. There's confession. David is being honest with God about where he's at. He's lamenting the felt absence of God. And then supplication comes in verses 3 and 4. And the word supplication, this is just a great Bible word. It means to make a request. It means that we're asking God for something. That's in verse 3. Okay, verses 1 and 2, David's honest about the absence of God that he feels. But then in verse 3, he pleads with God to intervene. David wants God to answer him. Consider, look, consider me, and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes. And this is an interesting phrase. I like this phrase, light up my eyes. The ESV's translation of the Hebrew here is super literal. Because David is saying, he's saying light up. We might say the word enlighten. He's saying light up, enlighten, and simply my eyes. Enlighten my eyes. In other words, David needs God to help him see rightly, which means that David has enough presence of mind to know that currently he's not seeing rightly. And this is a really important step in Psalm 13 because it actually clarifies how we understand verses one and two. David is admitting that what he's doing here, the way he's praying here, the, the lament, the lament of this Psalm that he is bringing to God, it is owing to his own inability to see. In his humility, David understands that his condition is connected to his lack of perspective. And so he's, he's asking God to change that. And Charles Spurgeon has a great comment on this verse. Spurgeon says that David is praying, quote, Let the eye of my faith be clear so that I may see my God in the dark. I love that because it's it's still dark in Psalm 13. David is still in a place he would rather not be. The question of how long in verse 1 still stands, but that doesn't mean that God isn't there. God is there, which is how David is talking to him. There's an irony here. I want us to see, if you we, if we think about it, David is talking to God who he feels like isn't there. He starts with God, where are you? Where are you, God? But then he continues talking like he knows where God is. God is with him. D- David confesses that he feels like God is absent, but David acts in the reality that God is present despite the way he feels. This is where David is getting beneath his emotion. He is going deeper than his feelings and he is putting his will to work. God, it feels like you are absent, but I know you're present. I know it. God, help me. Make me see. Give me perspective. Light up my eyes. David wants to taste what he is clenching his fist to believe. God is here. I know God is here. And that's really the only chance we have of being rescued. In terms of of relevance for us when it comes to this pandemic that we find ourselves in, I, I want us to get this. The presence of God in our crisis is the only hope that God can rescue us from our crisis. And 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 this is what that means for COVID-19. And this is something that I think we need to watch out for. Okay, right now in our current situation, there is a lot of necessary stress put on human agency. There, There is mean, a vital list of all kinds of things that we're supposed to do, like don't gather in groups, maintain social distancing, wash your hands. This is all good advice, and we're keeping that advice. These are actions that we can take. But if we're not careful with all the emphasis on the things that we must do, we can forget that God is here, God has a part in this, and it's the part that is sovereign over every single detail. And we know this. God is sovereign over every subatomic particle in this universe. And that includes any kind of strand of any kind of virus. And that includes COVID-19. This virus cannot do anything that God does not Permit, Which means if this virus is going to be stopped, God has to stop it. Now, we know God is pleased to use means. God uses means. Wash your hands. But don't think for a second, don't think for a second that washing your hands saves you. Don't let your human agency eclipse the truth of God's supremacy. God is big. We are small. And ultimately, all of this is in his hands, not our washed hands. David knows that in Psalm 13, which is why he's talking to God. He is bringing this prayer to God. He is making this supplication to God, and there's a lot at stake. That's what he's doing In verses 3 and 4, when he he starts with that word, lest, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Again, this just escalates the, the intensity of the prayer. If God does not intervene, there will be terrible ramifications. And again, just in terms of the relevance for us, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the numbers. There's so much out there in the media when it comes to this pandemic, but right now, basically, we we are staring down the barrel of possibly millions of deaths in our country, for sure, worldwide. And so, look, we, God, stop him. God has to intervene. We, we, We need God to intervene, please. right. That's David's supplication in Psalm 13. And that's our supplication too for where we are in these times. And now we move to these last two verses, verses five and six. And this is the category of adoration. It's confession verses one and two, supplication verses three and four, adoration verses five and six. And I just, just look again at these verses that David says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And it's pretty simple here in this psalm to see what David is doing. He goes from lamenting God's felt absence to petitioning God to intervene to hear now he is declaring his trust in God's steadfast love. David does this just within five verses. And although it's at least easy for us to see the movement in this psalm, it's less easy for us to actually keep up with this movement from our hearts. David has spent four verses here saying that that his world is basically falling apart. And then all of a sudden, he's singing praise and worship. Like, you know, David here all of a sudden is saying that he trusts the God who he felt like, feels like, has forgotten him. And the only way this makes sense is if we understand the direction that David has been going this entire time, this whole time, where has David been heading? He he starts with his felt reality, but he's had no intention of ending there. He starts on the surface. David starts on the surface in verses one and two, but he chooses to move toward the depths His felt reality gives way to his ultimate reality, to the ultimate reality. And that is who God is and what God has done. God is Yahweh. He is the God of steadfast love. He is the God who created all things and who sustains all things. He is the God who has made himself known to the people of Israel through a promise backed by his character. He is the God of salvation. He is the God of rescue. He is the God who makes a way when there is no way. And that's why David says here, I trust you, God. I'm banking. I'm banking on your love, which means I'm rejoicing in your salvation. David's faith in God is his joy in God. And then that joy has expression. He sings. That's what he says in verse six. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's where the psalm ends. It's the lament that lands in praise because David has drilled down to the bottom of his heart. He acknowledges his felt reality. He petitions for perspective. And then he declares his trust in God, his joy in God. And he sings because when he gets down to the bottom of his heart, when he gets that perspective, when he breathes in the air of ultimate reality, he knows, he knows. The Lord has dealt bountifully with me, and that phrase, the wording here, it it basically it means how it sounds. This is this is transactional language. God has been dealing, as it were, God has been dealing with David, and it's been a good deal. The, the God of steadfast love makes good deals. And if, if that's true of David so many years ago, how much truer is that for us today? D- David considers God's dealing with him to be bountiful. That means just abundant, gushing with goodness. And so how much more, how, how much better Has God dealt with us for whom Jesus died and was raised from the dead and and, and who us, we now who live in light of that resurrection, how much more bountiful has God dealt with us? Church, here's the question. How much more bountiful has God dealt with us? Who can say with the apostle Paul that he who did not spare his own son, but who gave him up for us all, how will he also not with him graciously give us all things? By God's grace, we have been united to Jesus through faith. And in Jesus, we have received all of Jesus and all of his benefits. That's why the reformers, that, that's how they used to talk about the, the union with Jesus. We receive Jesus and all of his benefits. Jesus has given us himself and with himself, united to him by his Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. We have forgiveness and righteousness and eternal life and hope and wisdom and endurance and freedom and nearness. And we have one another in the church. Church, we, we have all of Jesus' and all of his benefits. And that is the depths of God's steadfast love. That is how God has dealt with us. He has given us Jesus and all his benefits. And that is a good deal. It's a good deal, which is why we can sing. This is the message of Psalm 13. It's that no matter what, From from the very bottom of our hearts, we can have real joy and we can praise God. Because no matter what, when it's all said and done, God has dealt bountifully with us in Jesus. In Jesus, God has dealt bountifully with you, church. He has dealt bountifully with you. And so we can adore him. We can give him praise. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus, who is the radiance of your glory and who is our Lord, our Savior, our treasure. Thank you that Jesus did not count equality with you a thing to be grasped, that he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Thank you for Jesus's life, and for his character. Thank you that Jesus is able to sympathize with us in our weakness and that he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Thank you for his faithfulness and for his righteousness. And thank you that Jesus died for us on the cross in our place, paying for all of our sins and absorb, absorbing in himself all the wrath that we deserved. And thank you, Father, for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Thank you that he is victorious over sin and death. And thank you that we have new life in him. Jesus is our living hope. Jesus is our solid rock. And Father, we thank you. Thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.